The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Brew Bar and the Vegas Beer Guys. Mike and Tom are washing their mouths out with soap because the Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the 1993 Singles Edition. We're talking hot shots today. Part deux. Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards, talking to you from Pacific Beach. Joining me, Rambo himself, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, coming to us from Chula Vista. Say, say hello, Tom. Every time I give an order, it gets screwed up. Plan a reception, wrong hors d'oeuvres. Appoint an ambassador, he leaves the country. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I can't think of another character in film whose dialogue is more dense with jokes than Tug Benson. Yeah. Yes. I mean, the only person who comes close that I can think of is Rodney Dangerfield and Caddyshack. Yeah, right, right. And maybe the frequency is comparable, but in terms of hit rate and the variety of humor, Tug Benson wins outright. Like, complete, yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, with Rodney Dangerfield, it almost feel like feels like Tourette's. Well, and it's funny because... But with because... Tug, Tug Benson, it's so, like, it's it's just... It's <laughs> so... It's, in the best possible way, scripted. Like, mm-hmm. it feel, it's, it's, it's like... It's like nothing is an accident. No, no, yeah. <laughs> it's from, just... Uh... From writing to performance, everything is purposeful. Yeah. I had to... I, I very much enjoyed... Uh working on the Lloyd Bridges voice, I have a warm-up line that I do to get into Lloyd Bridges. Which is? Which, um, it's uh, Mickey Mandelbaum from uh, Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Oh, you think you're better than me? You think you're better it's than go me? Time. It's go yeah, time. All you gotta do is say it's go time. It's, it's go, go time. time. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> well. The last great, the last great Seinfeld episode. The English Patient. <laughs> It was all downhill after that, sadly. <laughs> you just I mean, down, downhill for Seinfeld is not downhill for this for any other show, but... All right. They, they never hit that high again, I don't think. I'd have to go back. So much judgment from you. Why is that, so, is that judgment? <laughs> we always have to talk about everything you think's not quite so good. What, like a season and a half of Seinfeld after fucking seven and a half years of pure gold? <laughs> I think that's pretty. I think that. I think that's pretty generous an assessment, is it not? <laughs> All right, fine, fine. But today, of course, we're talking Hot Shots Part Two. Uh, and again, a 1993 movie. This came out May 21st of 1993, and. Very close, by the way. 56% on Rotten Tomatoes for this movie. We talked about Wayne's World had 60. So I guess Wayne's World, officially fresh. This one, almost fresh. Hmm. I, 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 both those figures are low to me, but the yeah. difference between them, I think, is right. So proportionally... 4% makes sense to you? Yeah. So if it was... 80 and 76, you'd feel better? Yes. Gotcha. See? (laughs) 
<laughs> See? <laughs> See? I, I can reward. <laughs> well, and I was just thinking about this because, I mean, you opened with Tug Benson, his line. Well, yeah. let's talk about, I mean, this movie's directed by Jim Abrahams. Yes. So we, of course, know Jim Abrahams, or I, I hope people do, from Airplane and Top Secret. Yeah. And then, of course, movies, well, the, the first in this series as well, Hot Shots. And then maybe some movies uh, people don't know, Ruthless People, Big Business, Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael. Hmm. And he was he he was on the Naked Gun team, right? Yeah, he's involved. Yeah, okay. But you can, I mean, that seems so evident when you watch this movie. Yeah. Because there there a blueprint appears for this movie, and. The blueprint is kind of a naked gun blueprint in in terms of, you know, the opening scene, let's say. You can sub the queen. You can sub Saddam for the queen. Yeah. You know? Well, I was going to say, like, the, the, one of my first notes is about how much Jim Abrams loves celebrity impersonators. Yeah, right. <laughs> because we're about ten minutes into the film and we've had six political lookalikes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's got to be a record. Right. Well, and this movie comes kind of right in the middle between, because Naked Gun, two and a half is 91. 33 and a third, I believe, is 94. Mm. And so you have wow. this movie right that in puts between. It in perspective. Yeah. Budget of $25 million for this movie, an opening weekend of 10.25. Uh, in the USA, thirty-eight point nine million, and in the world, one hundred and thirty-three point seven million. And it's funny because, I mean, when you when you opened with your Tug Benson line, and <laughs> as we gushed about that character and and the comedic value of that character, I don't know. I'm a little surprised that the tops, the uh, rather the Hot Shots movies aren't held in esteem in a way say that the Naked Gun series is. I mean, this is this is very good comedy. Yeah. Uh, I can't disagree with that. I have I I mean this 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 could be coincidental, it might not be, but I've always kind of felt that way about Lloyd Bridges. I never think he gets his due. Mhm. As a as a as a comic actor or a serious actor. Right. I mean, I rem- I've talked before <laughs> not to not to you know drag out some of the old favorites but I I, I talked before <laughs> about you know owning Leonard you know like owning Leonard Moulton's film guide as a as a child and sort of memorizing it cover to cover yeah and I always remember to this day turning to the back and being eternally disappointed that Lloyd Bridges wasn't one of the actors that was uh, listed Oh wow. And I'd only seen Hot Shots at that point. So I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe he's this guy who just did Hot Shots. And then, you know, I start to watch Oh no, yeah. All, then, then I start to watch older movies. I put on High Noon. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's like, okay, I think he needs to be in there, Leonard. Yeah. He's in High Noon. Right. <laughs> That's enough. Yeah. Right there. Just that. Not to mention Airplane and uh, you know, it's just uh, 
it's uh it's kind of it's kind of strange in a lot of a lot of this movie is overlooked a lot of what's done in this movie is overlooked mm-hmm. um and wrongly and i'm not even really talking about the quality of the movie you know i i i don't think this should be necessarily that much better regarded than it is but i absolutely think that um uh that i see the roots of so much in comedy of the last 30 years here yeah like it's it's tempting to see it as a relic of another era but it's actually the beginning of a new era in comedy in many ways well and do you do you consider the Naked Gun series the beginning as well or the end of something else? There's something specific about this. Okay. Actually. And, we'll, you know, we'll talk about it in more detail, but I, I find myself, like, watching this movie prepared to see it as a, a as a kind of dated, cliched movie, a kind of movie we don't make anymore. And so... I came out, and I came, I came out of it thinking... Thinking, oh, I can see, you know, I can see the origins of so much in, uh, in both film comedy and sketch comedy that we mm-hmm. do, that we, that we, that's almost commonplace now, that is just being tested here. Okay. Because I've had conversations before with why this type of movie isn't made anymore, and it's mm. because. You know, in discussing it, we kind of came to this conclusion that kids of today, there's no anchor point for them. Yeah. You, you watch it. You watch Airplane, you know, you're riffing on, you know, airport movies. Yeah. And again, but again, you, this movie made me feel differently about that. I mean, uh-huh. I, I, I largely agree with you, but sometimes it makes it look very easy. Right. Yeah. Because... <laughs> Like they, they, they eat. I think that there's two approaches. One approach is to just have references to things that are so timeless they will never go out of fashion. The Godfather, Casablanca, mm-hmm. Lady and the Tramp. These movies are not going away, right? So that's what that's kind of what we'll reset to every time. And then, but the other I did part wonder it, as I was watching it, does somebody who's twenty get the Lady and the Tramp reference? But they'll probably get the Godfather stuff. I hope. Today, the movie's being reissued in cinemas. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. they're, they're picking things that they know are going to endure. And then the rest of the time, it is like they're just rolling the dice. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of, you know, sure, maybe people don't know what the Duracell bunny is, but we've still got Rambo and Terminator movies. Yeah. So, actually, this movie sort of change my opinion a little bit about that idea that there is there is no anchor point i think you can fabricate enough of an anchor point if you think smartly about that that may be true and i I, you know i kind of went on a journey with this movie because this movie is just so heavily influenced it's it's all rambo (laughs) there's so much rambo in it it's 60 percent rambo yeah and Uh, and using that as its anchor you know, as I'm watching it, I, I'm I'm fascinated by it. One, because the parody of it is so good. Two, sometimes it's not sometimes so good it's not even parody. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. You're In right. Fact, I would say the majority <laughs> of it 
is is uh, what I would call a remake. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're you you're probably not wrong about that, but I just found it interesting in the sense of because Rambo kind of, I mean, that became a part of our vernacular, going Rambo. Yeah, that I think even young people so. But I started thinking about how conscious the decision, like, did they know then that it was going, that it would last as long as it did? Did they, did they, did they really think that we would have Rambo sequels as recently as a few years ago? And Terminator sequels. And Terminator. Uh, I think, I think there's a certain, there's a certain degree of luck here. Yeah. But at the same time. Uh, what what it first blood is eighty two is that right? Yes. So that's it's already lasted a decade. Mm-hmm. So you're making an ed- you ba- basically you're making an educated guess that it's got another ten twenty years in it at the very least. That's in yeah. So you you basic that's what I mean. It's like you're basing it on something and and it's all it's but it's interesting because they're three years removed from sort of the last sequel. I mean, we don't have another Rambo sequel for a long time. Right. You know? But they've waited... You're outside of another decade until yeah. another Rambo sequel comes. I think... And there's that there's that four to seven year rule, which the Abrams and the Zuckers... Yeah, right, right. And, and, the, and you know, Mike Myers seem to have kind of agreed on as this period of time in which you can start parodying movies and it doesn't just it's look like... It's been a long enough time, right. Like you're, you're just exploiting whatever happens to be in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. And this is working for them again. Rambo 3 is, what, 86? 88. 88? Okay. Well, you, you within that four to seven. Yeah. I think if you go... I think, I, I, you know, I have no hard and fast statistics to prove this, but I think if you go outside that four, <laughs> and four to seven, the joke doesn't work as well. Right. I think that is exactly the amount of time you need to wait before you start parodying a movie. <laughs> well, I mean, let's, you know, what do you think about that Saddam opening scene? I wrote, I wrote it's a physical comedy extravaganza. <laughs> That's a really good way. <laughs> listen, listen, I mean, you know, it, it, this is a... This this movie has a Russian doll level of production values. Right. So I actually yeah. have a lot to say about a lot to say about pretty much every scene because it 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 really feels like they've gone to town on everything you on the mise en scène on everything you see mm-hmm. and hear. Um, I mean, right from the beginning. I mean, I, my first thought was, is this the Fox logo in 1993? <laughs> this looks like it's from about 1978. And was that purposeful to make you think you're going to watch like a legitimate thriller? Mm-hmm. Because you're not getting comedy music to start this movie. You, no, are, yeah, you, right. you are ready to watch <laughs> Patriot Games, yeah. right? That's, that's, that movie, the movie and the logo is setting you up to watch a not very good Harrison Ford thriller. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, um, and then we have, you know, a, a the first comic masterstroke of the movie, which is an opening crawl that makes fun of the modern movie tendency to put lengthy on-screen text on, mm-hmm. as well as the kind of the the contemporary version of that, which is this word processing typeface effect, <laughs> right, yeah. and the movie sends up both perfectly. Yeah, um, 
And the Saddam Hussein stuff is really interesting. I mean, interesting, again, in so, so many ways to me. Like, you can absolutely see it in the tradition of Mel Brooks and what he did mm-hmm. with with uh, the producers and to sort of comicalize and bring down dictators. Dictators, right. Say, you know, through comedy. Um, But it's a little different because... America's just been through the Iraq War. Correct. What what Mike Myers in Wayne's World describes as a limited skirmish. <laughs> and, you know, right. and Bill Hicks says it's not a war, it's a weapons test. Fair enough. <laughs> okay, this wasn't Vietnam. No, yeah. But this is so close to the event itself. It makes me wonder, like, what's the what's the per- what's what's the purpose of bringing down Saddam now versus you know, I don't know, like 10, 15 years after he's defeated. You know what I mean? Like, it, there's something there's something different right. going on here. Mm-hmm. Not saying it's quite propaganda, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's uh, triumphalist. It's, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's... But it's in that vein, isn't it? And it's... Yeah. It's interesting because you also have... It is still rah-rah America. Because we were still rah-rah America at the time. Especially during that Iraq war. Very rah-rah America. And so watching Mm. it today, it's interesting because this country is not held in the same esteem that it was at the same time. Globally. I I, I thought the same at certain points. And then at other points, I thought, this movie actually understands that, that it's a bad thing for movies to be glorifying war. Yes. That's my favorite thing about this movie. War, it's fantastic. Yes, exactly. I mean, and he, yeah, and that's Miguel Ferrer. And uh, like, yeah, exactly. Right. I just, I, and you know, we've talked before about the, the the secret to these movies is that you cast the person who would be in the who serious would be in version the, of this yes, movie. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. But not only that. Miguel Ferrer is in another stakeout in right. a non in a non comedic role. Exactly. So we don't even have to look further than our own series right. here. <laughs> um, so in the exact same year, he's playing the serious role in another yeah. sequel, which I, I is fantastic. The 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 rah rah America of it didn't bother me as much as the kind of anti trans anti women humor. That is like right. I mean, it's throughout the movie, but it's yeah. right. But you know, the way in which we make fun of Saddam is putting him in a dress. You know, putting him in women's clothes and making him seem like a housewife. All seemed fair game at the time. <laughs> and that, but that's that. I mean, that's disturbing. I mean, that's right. that's disturbing. And it, because it these are the wa- same exact things wash. we were talking about for the Naked Gun series. Same yes. exact time frame too. Yeah. And and weirdly enough, you know, I was expecting more Islamophobia, like all Islamophobia, but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't the same. <laughs> that wasn't uh, like anti. I, I understand anti Middle anti Middle East Middle East, right? Yes, and I obviously, you know, they're they're playing off the absurdity of the East West culture class. You know, he has a home security sign on his lawn. He's got yeah. curled Arabic slippers, um, but <laughs> right. But it's not playing the racial part of that. It's playing the culture clash version of that. Mm -hmm. So I had less of a problem with that than I was expecting to. 
Yeah, because when he gets into his slippers, I'm thinking about the Iron Sheik from the WWF. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I didn't have that. I, you I, know? You know, if, uh, I, I didn't have that perspective, but I, I wasn't, I certainly wasn't as offended. And the other, the other kind of big note I made, which is what I mean about this movie, I think being a testing ground for, for the way that American film comedy will develop over the next few years, is when he dust busts his penis. <laughs> right. Yes, I and, thought and, the same thing. Yes. And I, I had so because you know my first thought was like, we're not playing the satirical element of this. We're going for like uh, a lighter kind of you know we're just we're just poking fun at dictators kind of feel to it. It's like we're not thinking politically. Right. But there's many different levels to this one joke of the dustbuster because right and. You know, and the Dustbuster you... shows up in other sequels. It's in the Back to the Future series. <laughs> That's true. So I, gotta, I, I also want to point out that, that we're, we're two movies into the series, and and now twice I've seen an ersatz testicle dropping gag. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of the great things about doing a year in isolation. Yeah, right. It's like it's like some you know, nineteen ninety three comedies, sometimes they're just what they are. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> They've right. got their own rules. Um but the first thing it made me think was like, oh, this is something as like nasty and gross out as you would see in a Farrelly Brothers movie mm-hmm. a few years later, or even South Park. Right. It did feel very South Park. Like, well, I mean I think that's a to me that's a bigger note of you know, this Team America doesn't exist without this movie. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, which, which we, you know, we can talk about. But just at that point, I was sort of like, oh, this is like a, you know, this this is the runway to there's something about Mary, or you know, it's like it, it's it's like sometimes you feel that this movie is kind of is like working clean. Yes, compare, oh, clean, comparatively, cleaner yes. Than it'll be. And then other times, you know, we get the dust-busting penis, we get, de- you know, vomit and dentures in a bag. And it's like, oh, I can see... Because, like, by the end of the decade, as we saw with the Austin Powers movie, gross-out comedy is the thing. Right. But it's funny because... It and does, we're sort of testing that does, out. It does feel like a testing ground. Yeah. But we're still working clean, what, you know. what we're going like, to see. Yeah, we're, we're not going to, like be physically repulsed by what we see but the idea of it is gross out mm-hmm. humor and that's interesting like it, it i guess if you're gonna say like how did it develop is that the farrelly's and parker and stone kind of they put the the visceral element in like they, they right did, they dirtied it up so you actually saw on screen some wrinkled shriveled tits sick. Something that would make you feel sick as opposed to just thinking about the idea of it, which is what they're doing here in a very yeah. sanitized but still funny way. Like yeah. it's still it's the same joke. And the joke lands whether you see it or Show not. Show it or I not. Think. Yeah. Um All right. Well, uh I mean, this is a good start. Yeah, we're into the we've we've done the, the cold open. <laughs> exactly. We've done our cold open and the film's cold open. Exactly. Well, let's take a break and then we'll come back. I want to, because there's something else at the beginning of this movie that just set me off. I Like this movie, this movie, 
came to a to to a, a peak for me at the very beginning that it wasn't going to fall from because of oh. one joke. So I want to oh, tell you wow. about that. Okay, I'm excited right? to hear this. All right, everyone. It's we'll go be... time. <laughs> we'll do that when we come back right after this. If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of 3rd Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar, and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place, and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company, so will you. They turned me on to pour over, and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brew Bar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me. And we're back. Tom and I are here discussing the Jim Abrahams Hot Shots Part 2. I wonder if I'm a little surprised that as big a hit as uh, the first movie was that this movie only got 38.9 million in the USA. That's a little surprising to me. It's almost <laughs> and it's got to be what maybe stopped the series, right? I mean, it's still a profit, but yeah, it's got to be what stopped the series. And a huge profit worldwide, but I have a theory about that. Uh-huh. And I think the movie is almost too on the nose about its sequel fatigue. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> they make so much of it in the movie, I think it rubs off on the viewer a little bit. Which is... That's interesting. Which is... It didn't rub off on me, though. No, not that. No, and, just the, but I also have to like, admit because I have not seen this movie in a long, long yeah. time. It's I don't think of it. But so, I don't go back to it like I would the first Airplane or the Naked Gun series. I think it's too successful in questioning the value of an extraneous sequel that some of that rubs right. off on the audience. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I think it makes it a more intelligent movie. Yeah. Um. But the kind it's the, well, the kind of movies that they're spoofing are you know series that perhaps shouldn't have run as long as they did or at least that's what most people think except us sure. of course because it's our bread and butter but um <laughs> we're fine with it so i do wonder whether some of that some of that just kind of uh was absorbed by the audience and they thought it was a less good film than than it was maybe i mean speaking of intelligence there is a bit at the beginning of this movie okay, i want and i want to know desperately what 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 you think when Tug Benson has his shovel, <laughs> and he starts 
I mean, it's good enough that he's knocking around <laughs> Carter and Reagan <laughs> and Nixon. But the best part is that nothing ever touches Ford, who comedically was, you know, sent yeah. up by Chevy That's Chase right. as being the stumbler, yeah. who just falls. He just falls in <laughs> of me, himself. Yes. To me, that is the most sublime bit this movie I think shot to the top of my list immediately in that oh, moment. Right. I I I watched it like four times. I howled with laughter every yeah. single time because when Ford falls down, he st- he kind of starts sitting <laughs> and then rolls back. I it's it's so fucking great. Oh, do you know do you know what I think? I mean, what you're talking about is like is is like you know. It's great subjectively for you for that reason, but you know what I think makes that scene objectively great? Well, is that that is that is one of a handful of jokes that you get within yes, one right. frame mm-hmm. of film. That whole Also, I, mean, I think and, it's I think it's a real I think it's a marvel of filmmaking too. It's shot it perfect. Is. It is the perfect distance yeah. away to show yeah. all the physical comedy. It's great. Yeah. Everything about it. It's a holistic use of the frame. And you see this again and again in this movie. Right. Um, and what? And just to add to the sophistication of that, in this shot, you've got verbal comedy in the foreground with the reporter mm-hmm. talking to camera. You've got physical comedy in the background. Um, so it's different kinds of humor, but it's all in one shot. Right. So, I mean, it's as close to a perfect formula for how you do cinematic comedy as I can yeah. think of. I mean, and that's that's you know you, we're we've already pushed past the idea, the the fact that the idea of all this is brilliant. Yeah, the choice to make Tug Benson president, right? Because probably you, you that, would that think for we'd me be is the seeing, moment in which I know this is a good you'd movie. You'd think we'd be seeing. George H.W. Bush. That would that would yes. be in their wheelhouse, like the Queen. <laughs> well, in the naked, not just in their wheelhouse, in yeah, their right. movies. <laughs> naked guns you're right. off, yeah. They could have <laughs> hired the same that. actor. They could have done, yeah. And but, so, yes, just uh, the choice to... to have Tug Benson as the president. They went back to the same lookalike agency, but they didn't <laughs> right. get it. But um. I, so I thought this was, you know, this this basically secured this movie's place in film comedy history just by making Tug Benson mm-hmm. president. Because, and then by having him with the five living presidents, um, because you immediate then that the movie's immediately telling you he's an amalgam of all of right. them. He's taking little bits from all of them. And then in the next few scenes, you know, we get Reagan's dementia, yes. which weirdly enough, Airplane 2 also talks about. Like him him not right. recognizing his wife, which is something that really fucking yes, happened in the Reagan administration. He didn't recognize Nancy well, when he had bad dementia. Well, the amazing part of that is because Airplane 2, as we know, an 82 sequel, that's the beginning yes. of the man's presidency. <laughs> yeah, you know? I know, I know. Um... And so he's got elements of all of them, but the because because presidents will always be with us, and presidents will uh, have have become even more comic in in nature. Mm-hmm. 
through the Bush and Trump presidencies and now the Biden presidency, the joke takes on a new life when you watch it in yeah, right. with like four or five more presidents to work mm-hmm. from. And I hate to say it, <laughs> Tug Benson is very Joe Biden. He's very Joe. <laughs> He's, when you live in the middle of the Biden, so, when, when you see, I thought when the you same see, thing. I had, I had so many Joe vibes <laughs> that it really started to both warm and worry my heart. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but when you know, when you when you reread Tug Benson through, uh, through the Bush administration, through the Trump administration, and now Biden, it's, I don't know, exponentially more funny. Yeah. And that's why I think it's like, it's, you know, it's the it's not even what they what they're literally sending up from his from political history in the movie. It's the fact that they've made a choice that allows this joke to endure decades beyond the, yeah, the when the film was absolutely. made. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Is is that luck? I don't think so. I think that is like, that's just a that's just a a good choice. And a starting point from which, as you said, with that great gag, you can't really, you know, uh, you, you, by that point, you you, you can't fail. Right. It's, You've it's secured your place in history. <laughs> and then, you know, I think the other thing that this movie has is we've, you know, we've already regist- uh, uh, registered it is the talk about war. War, it's great. Yeah. When you have lines like, yeah, that'll satisfy my male cravings to kill and win. (laughs) That whole whole through line, the runner of those jokes that are are through the entire movie. Yeah. For me, take this movie to a whole other level. I I loved rewatching Wayne's World 2 and don't know what my problem was when I first saw it being disappointed by it. Uh, but even when I watched it this time, you know the 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 falling. I've always said I've always said you you hate too much, Mike. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Come on, you th- really thought I would let you off the hook That's after bizarre. the way we started this podcast? <laughs> but well, so but I can talk about you know when we because I completely forgot that Kim Basinger was in yeah. Wayne's World too, and so when the whole noir thing comes up. I'm in love with it, but I'm also yeah. a little disappointed that they didn't keep going with that bit. That should have been in the third act. She should have come back having been scorned yeah. and saying, why didn't you kill my husband? He's still alive. And it's interesting. You know, uh, so for me, the fact that this is like a runner throughout the whole movie, this is why I think this movie is my the top of, at the top of my list. Hmm. All right. Yeah. I... Um... I still disagree, but I gotta say, you got a very compelling case and example there. Yeah, I mean, this movie even can make great hay out of Lady and the Tramp and work against <laughs> your expectations of what you That's... think is going to happen and fake you out mm-hmm. and then give you what you thought you were going to see. That's really interesting. I, you know. I gotta, I, I think, again, I, I, I think it's the choices both in terms of parody and pastiche that this movie makes that makes me keep coming back to it Mm -hmm. to have classical hollywood cinema as your baseline you're not even making jokes about the godfather really or casablanca you're just using it as something it's like 
It's like the you framework know, it, of some jokes. Right. Yeah. If I go and see a parody movie and it's, you know, parodying things that were on Twitter or TikTok. Right. Yeah. I'm going to be less interested in seeing it than a movie that's maybe a little older, but talks about these timeless the Hollywood timeless, things. Th- yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, this movie, this movie's got a pretty high hit rate for jokes. Both, it's pretty good. Both ones that are sublime and silly. It it is it, to me. It's the variety more than the hit rate. Okay. The. I think overall the hit rate is fine. The variety of humor. Is astonishing. Mm-hmm. And the you know the way that they you know you over I'm overusing the word but that word holistic you know the that that you can combine physical and verbal humor in the same sequence that you can uh, switch between the two that you can just have a stream of, of physical gags one after the other and they right. all land and then have a scene that you know is entirely dialogue based comedy and that still works uh, that that it really impresses me agreed. Um, so it's more that is more important to me than whether in this context than whether the jokes land, whether all of them land. But a lot of them do. I agree. A lot of them do. Probably not as many as you think land. But, <laughs> but I also uh, have a note here that says that's where humor is subjective. You know, it's it's this, right. It's that this is like a, it's, this goes back to the Last Jedi. It's that fifteen percent differential, but it's it's a different fifteen percent for everyone. <laughs> We'll get there someday, Tom. <laughs> but I also have a note here that says, I think somebody had reached out to Stallone at one point to see what he thought of all of this, and he loved it. He was all for the parody. And why wouldn't he? He's yeah. getting an extra Rambo movie for free. For free, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got to say, we haven't mentioned Charlie Sheen yet. I got to say, that guy great. worked out for this movie. I have the same note here. I said that he looks like he's um, he's genuinely ripped and he looks like he's doing a lot of the fighting and that makes a huge difference it does. to the success of the comedy. Yes, exactly. That you know it's not... That you know that he's that he's actually physically committing to the bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, we mentioned this in, the, uh, in our ranking episode... But I think this movie is also helped by we we said you don't actually have Stallone, but when you have Charlie Sheen looking almost exactly like Stallone, and then you have the actual Richard Crenna, Richard Crenna. it just just raises well, this everything. Is, I, I should you know. probably reveal reveal here that this is the other performance in this movie that I think is a is a genre best. Oh yeah, it's um, top notch. It's and again, it's like. It, it, we're we talked. We talked the, about we're... getting the real actor that yes. would be in the serious movie, and they got the actual actor. They got the actual, <laughs> and he's actor. basically doing the same things that he does in Rambo Three, and yet for comedic parody, or for the sake uh, of is... comedy. And yes. to me, that's that's amazing. Like what a performance! I love it. I've got so many things to say about this because. At this moment in the movie, you you realize that the, the the film exists in a limbo between parody and pastiche, right? Mm-hmm. There's a general parody of these kinds of films. And at this point in the movie, that gives way to a pastiche of 
a specific movie. Right. Because and then the I rest was just going to say the, the same rest thing. Of the, the rest of the film, um, you know, it, it batten balls between those two. Because if and you're not paying attention, you're going to miss that he does Kevin McAllister. He doesn't. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. That actually um, might be from Uncle Buck. I don't but because we're doing, but it's basically a Macaulay we're doing, Culkin. We're doing shot for shot Rambo 3 at this point. Right. And just to illustrate how shot for shot it is, you go on YouTube, someone has matched Richard Krenner from Hot Shots Part 2 <laughs> with Stallone from Rambo 3. <laughs> and it great. matches perfectly. Um, but it's it's but, uh, you know, we've done Rambo 3 on this podcast. Correct. And I have to say, I saw Pot Shots Part 2 before Rambo 3. And I realized I was thinking of this, movie. this version. <laughs> because remember I said, you know, I kept saying, oh, it's a nunchuck fight. And you were like, no, no, it's not a nunchuck fight. <laughs> this is a nunchuck fight. Yeah, right. This is what I was thinking <laughs> this of. This is what you were thinking And I tell of. you That's what amazing. I absolutely cannot unsee. <laughs> from Rambo 3 because of this movie it's when he puts his he puts his uh, fists in the toppings in the toppings and yeah. there's a and there's a bowl of M&Ms I will never unsee that <laughs> it, Rambo 3 like it yeah it's um and it's amazing it it just adds a whole new level to this sequence because because you have there the, are you have Krenna of... and then a CIA woman in this movie but yeah you have them like walking in the background of the yeah. crowd, exactly like Rambo Three. Exactly, like shot for shot, oh. exactly how it happens. But um, you know, around them are a series of like gags, ma- make you know, making it out that this is an American stadium sports event. Mm-hmm. And it's like you can put as many of them in there as you want. This is still Richard Krenner, the guy who did this for real, <laughs> right? <laughs> appearing at exactly the same point in the fight that he did in Rambo Three. Followed by it's, the scene with him working with monks, exactly like Rambo. 3. Exactly as it exactly yeah. as it appears in the movie. But I actually thought, given what we said about how Rambo three was a comicalized version of the Rambo formula, yes, it's interesting that what it's kind of ironic that Krenner is comicalizing a performance that was already comicalized. Oh, when yeah. he did it in Rambo 3. So it's like, which is the more serious version of this? <laughs> yeah. And that, like, th- that's what that's what it was. It was Krenna himself who contacted Stallone to say, are you okay with this? And he said, oh, yeah, go for it. That's what it was. I have the same note about the temple building. Put as many Americanized extras in there as you like. This is so yeah. close to the real thing. <laughs> it's, it's genuinely eerie. Um... Well, and I think yeah. a, I think a lesser movie would have had Topper Harley's character say, "Okay, I'll go with you," but he says no, just like Rambo does <laughs> in Rambo Three. It's fucking great. It's and 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 that really that really matters as well for the fact to, for the argument that this is a this is a sequel parody specifically. Yeah. Because they're playing all the... Um, it all gave the me of... the same vibes that we talked about when we watched Gremlins 2. Yeah. And there was something else. You know, there have been other sequel parodies that we've talked about. Like, it, struct- it, it, it structurally imitates a sequel screenplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, yeah, in like any other... In, in, in any other movie, he he would just go along with it. 
Well, if and, you weren't if you weren't trying to sort of play all the notes that you would get in in these kind sure. of continuing story sequels. Um, and we have another. I mean, you know, stylistically, this movie loves the visual gag in the background. Oh yeah, it's like you just use all the frame at all times. We have a dancing dog. We have a bodybuilder. Right. <laughs> um, it, and it's at this point that I realized. Like, I'm trying to think of what the equivalent of what Richard Krenner is doing in this movie. And the only other example I can think of is Marlon Brando and The Freshman. That's funny. I was recently watching The Freshman. Yeah. Because it's it's a particular kind of performance where you reenact a dramatic role and you don't you don't play it any different. Right. You play it exactly the same. You play it totally straight as you did it. But what's around you is, is the comment. The is movie the, does yeah. the comedy for you, right. and you just perform like you always have. It's just fa- it's just fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like I, it, it's such a rare kind of. But it depends upon. You get elements of that in for De Niro and the analyze this and that. Yeah, but, but it's he, played, he doesn't know how to do comedy. Though, played so a little he, bit more towards but comedy. The, but but Robert De Niro's acting with his I'm in a comedy face. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Actually where it's great is is Midnight Run. Yeah. That's yeah, where sure. he that's where he's he's playing something dramatic but it's you know it works as comedy. But it you know it's unimaginably difficult for for the actor to do that because they they it must be so tempting to lean into the comedy around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're going to do it properly, you never do. You can't. And that's why Richard Krenner nails this. Top to bottom from beginning to end. He never does. Even yeah. when he's got fucking popcorn coming out of his mouth. <laughs> right. He never, right. he never, mu- I mean, if you, and think of this, in, this is why I think it's his genre best. Think of this in comparison to Leslie Nielsen, mm-hmm. who is great at deadpan, but give him a chance to mug the camera. He's going to mug the he's camera. He's going to mug, right. Krenner never, it never even, it never gets close. Well, I love that scene too, because you, that's from Rambo First Blood Part 2. Him on the fence. So he's taking I, the place I, of Stallone. I don't want, I don't know we're going to talk specifically about that scene. So I'm just going to say, say this now. In my opinion, that is a more realistic version of what would happen in that scenario than we got in Rambo 3. Remember how we said at the time, like, why are they not torturing him? Right, right. In Hot Shots Part 2, he gets tortured. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, I also noted that this, like, speaking of the kind of, like, imitating the screenplay structure, the sequel screenplay structure, uh, another Abrams sequel with a break with a breakup of the main couple in yeah. between the first and second in, the, film. in between the movies we've right. done this in in airplane naked gun right. and now here yeah fascinating it's it's it it's where it's where they always start yeah i wonder where it comes from and I because also, i only know the i only know the parody version of right it. like I, i've not yeah, seen that's it true i don't know i i i've not given that thought but i also love the breakup for this one Maybe more than all the other ones. The yes. fact, the idea of uh, I actually was married to somebody else. 
Yeah, because that's amazing. Like, what are they pulling from? They're pulling from Casablanca, which is timeless storytelling. Exactly. So we know it's gonna work. We know it's gonna work because it's Casablanca, <laughs> right? The best, you know, arguably the best screenplay ever written. Speaking why, uh, to yeah. speaking to the uh, you know background jokes, mm. I'm also picking up. I have notes about the uh, Ben Gazzara and Omar Sharif. Did you catch those on? I cer- I certainly did, oh. and and my first thought was uh, Parker and Stone owe them some money, right? That's basically that's the gag in Team America. In Team America, my um, what is it? Uh, um, Mohammed. What what's what's the thing they always say in Team America? Oh, Mohammed Jihad, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, but so, you know, it just it like you know the. The jokes in this movie, there's so many different layers because there's just the blatant ridiculous ones like uh, a white guy putting blackface paint on and then handing it to an African-American who looks at him like he's a fucking idiot. Which, well, see, followed closely I by I th- everybody saying Geronimo. See, I was. I see. I thought the Geronimo was not offense. The Geronimo gag wasn't offense. And again, this whole, this is this is where the subjectivity of comedy makes it difficult. I thought the Geronimo gag was. I mean, we're skipping way ahead here, but we'll just talk about it now. Uh, was wasn't offensive. I thought the blackface gag was. No, I think I'm with you on that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought they were so close to making a post-racial blackface gag, and they fluffed it on the punchline. Well, how would you change it though? Whereas the, whereas the, I just don't think the consciousness, is, I, I think, again, it's it goes back to O.J. Simpson and Naked Gun. It's like, we can make that joke. There's a black guy in the room. Yeah. You're, okay. I, I, I. But I, you're so, but I remember thinking, oh, you're so close. Yeah. And then they did the Geronimo thing. It's like, it's just a stupid thing. Right. Like, it doesn't even matter that he's Native American. It's just a stupid linguistic accident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's where that's post-racial. Yeah, right? right. But I don't know, and you know, it's 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 hard as well in the early nineties because you, you like deracializing African American stuff is more right. consequential because you're in the middle of riots and and you know that's you're right. Yeah, that's true. Um. But uh, all right. Well, uh, let's take another break. Yeah, well, let's do it. Yeah. Let's take another break and then we'll come back and we'll finish up right after this, everyone. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. 
They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here. We're finishing up talking about Hot Shots Part Due. Oh, where to go here from here, Tom? I mean, I know we haven't been talking a lot about narrative, and we've been talking around this film and jumping around a lot, but I think that's almost a testament to, you know, the the layered nature of all the jokes within the movie. Yeah, it works as it works as an overall concept and story. Yeah, which. Again, and I've said this before, that shouldn't matter in a comedy movie, but it's actually the most important part of it. Mm-hmm. Every single time we break these movies down, we prefer the ones that can actually tell a coherent story. Well, and, and I where love the, where the concept lasts for more or less the entirety of the running time. Yeah, right. And then what I also respect about a movie like this that you just don't see in movies anymore, and we've talked about it, but the the overt or subtle nod to other movies yeah of that era i love that they're you know you got topper making out in the back of a limousine which reminds me of no way out mhm you know well, probably not just you <laughs> <laughs> but 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 that is a that's these these days that would be considered a deep cut yeah right uh, Basic Instinct has a huge but but I was gonna movie. say Basic Instinct has a huge play, and I would say just in general the kind of early nineties Hollywood erotic thriller as a mm-hmm. genre, as a genre, has a huge impact on the way that this this uh, this move, the, particularly the female characters in this movie, is right. represented. That diving board did make me laugh. <laughs> I did like that diving board. I thought that was funny. Brenda Backey's doing some great work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it makes me... Oh, one of my favorites, though, is the Robin Hood Prince of yeah. Thieves reference with that chicken. In the same year as Robin Hood Men in Tights sa- did the same game. Right. Oh. Just like the That's same little... exact shot with the slow motion. They're pushing it a little too close to the chicken bone. <laughs> but, it, it, I mean, just those chicken's eyes. I mean, I'm already laughing as when I see... Right. Yeah. The, I mean, <laughs> I'm an easy mark when it comes to to chicken gags, but mm-hmm. that one. Did really... you notice the banana? It was the same sort of as the hair dryer from Naked Gun Two and a Half. Right. I liked um, that too. I I think it's a shame for the women in this movie who are doing fantastic work, both comedically and dramatically. Every joke seems to come back to objectification or. Yeah, anti women in power. Anti women, and because they're you know, there's jokes about I've been married twice. Twice. Good line though. It is a good line. <laughs> that's about no. That's a joke about marriage. I'm talking specifically about. Well, so uh, in the... yeah, but it comes during torture. Yeah. <laughs> in the early in the early nine, you know, like in it it made me it made me really depressed to think that that Hillary Clinton has been enduring this kind of casual misogyny for, like, f- four decades now. Decades, yeah. 
as soon as she appeared on the screen. Like every, any kind of like any Saddam Hussein's I do, wife I did find is, called, is called Rodham. And, yeah, every uh, female character's middle name is Rodham in this movie. Which is basically like saying, you know, don't get above your station, women. If you're a powerful woman, you need to be taken back a peg. And I just... It, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's where it's one of the one of the more nauseating aspects of of this movie that and the fact that we have a lot of anti-trans humor which also makes me a little bit sick these days yeah um and i'd say so yeah it just doesn't uh doesn't jibe very well with me but it's 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 a particular shame because i i think both the leading female performances in the movie are excellent they're so good and we haven't talked much about Valeria Galino either. Um, just great. I mean, so good. So, I wish so she good. was in our lives more. Yeah, I rem- she disappeared for a long time. It seems. Yeah. Um, and she's got she's got some. <laughs> so she's she, she's another. Gr- I think the best the the best performances in this movie, and that's a very high standard. Because you've got two of the best performances in right. any comedy movie of the nineties, is is this you know being able to nail physical and verbal humor simultaneously, and that's what I really like about her performance. Yeah, like she she her line reads are so good, but also when she's called upon to do physical comedy, like in the uh, the sequence where Charlie Sheen's trying to get keys out of the jailer's <laughs> office and just at the end she gives him like a like a three stooges slap yeah. on the head that that is and it's just the perfect comic it's button the perfect on the screen button. right but you know I, i'm watching a lot of Kirby enthusiasm recently and it's really interesting like when you when you get people uh who are famous actors in to do comedy it like the 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 different degrees of quality and success are really interesting like people mm. you expect to be funny or you expect could do it because they're good actors can't and then sometimes the reverse yeah so right. just to you know put it all in perspective not an easy gig right yeah for any of these people no matter how good they are as screen actors and so many of them are doing fantastic work i want to shout out for ryan styles oh god he is phenomenal in this. So I wish funny. he was in our lives more. Yeah. You know, not just on Whose Line Is It Anyway. Right. But also, don't leave Whose Line Is It Anyway. Don't don't leave, uh, but... <laughs> and I just, like, it was that same feeling when I saw Harry Shearer in Wayne's World 2. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's no one better. Right. I mean, when you look at his, like, the best work he does on Whose Line Is It Anyway, it's often a movie parody. And so yes. getting him You're to right. be the movie parody part of this of the second half of the movie is perfect. <laughs> it just, it, it, it feels right in his mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just, it just, this, well, this, I like, there's like, there's even a, like the tired a... gag of like the guy who says, Oh, I'm going to go back and marry, marry my fiance and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. It's like, even that tired gag sounds fresh when he does it. Yeah. He can, he can, he can work magic on, on as they're, climbing through the jungle and they find themselves in a suburban home yeah. with, with a simple, you know, gate around the outside. Damn it. It's locked. And it's also, it's a credit to the, it's a credit to the direction of the movie. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Because I think if you, if, if you're going to be a director who, and I think, 
I don't want to generalize too much, and I'm all, <laughs> I fear I've already sounded like a very old man so far on this <laughs> on this episode. But I'm going to compound that by saying I think a problem with a lot of comedy movie direction now is that the they don't know when to get out of the way of their actors. Mm-hmm. The joke you're not creating the joke; they're creating the joke. You are you are illustrating the joke, often by just stepping out of the way. Mm-hmm. Like John Landis knew that, Harold Ramis knew that. Yeah. Jim right. Abrams obviously knows that. Uh Paul Thomas Anderson does not. <laughs> Shit. Get off your actor's feet, Paul Thomas Anderson, if you if you claim to make a comedy. You heard it here first. Um we're never gonna do that movie, Licorice Pizza, so I feel safe in saying that now. <laughs> Uh, but speaking, I mean, here's where we, here's where we go from, we're kind of going backwards through the Rambo movies. Cause at this point, yeah. we're basically recreating Rambo first blood part two yes. shot for shot. <laughs> <laughs> Having done Rambo three. Grabbing snakes in the jungle. Yeah. Which again, I think is part, is like, is part of my, <laughs> part of why I always feel like Rambo 3 comes before Rambo First Blood Part 2 in my head is this movie. (laughs) All your confusion during the Rambo series we have traced back. That's great. And there's a great uh, there's a great meta joke in here when Charlie and Martin Sheen pass each other. Oh yeah. Love it. It's a meta joke that works on two levels. It's, It's it manages to reference Rambo Apocalypse Now and Wall Street yeah. all at the same time. <laughs> I mean, that's like, that's like the axis of meta. <laughs> um, and I is, this is where you have, I think, where you have Ramada say it's a sequel. I had to come, or is it Charlie Sheen who says that? Oh, I don't remember which one says that. But that's that's brilliant. That's a brilliant piece of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, also, and again, I have this feeling so much with with this movie that this movie some sometimes you know it, it's very overt and you know pure slapstick, uh, very very broad lowbrow comedy, and then there are moments when it can just nudge the dial on reality and make it funny. So, the fact mm-hmm. that Iraq is a jungle. Yeah, right. This desert country yeah. is a jungle. First of all, you're like, that's a hilarious sight gag. But as a satirical comment about American like going around the world blowing thing blowing up countries right. without knowing where they are. I mean, well, I was, in and the I was second Iraq say, war, that'll the, be I, huge. Right. The idea of our ignorance. Yeah. It like <laughs> so and it, that that's why it's so hot, like all of Tug Benson's foreign policy blunders. <laughs> Right. Take on a new meaning in the post George right. yes. W. Bush era because the, we've we've seen this happen in reality. Mm-hmm. We know the truth is no different from from this piece of comedy. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I have I have a I have a note here of I've got a, like a list of four four like very basic gags that are all lasting bits. Bad mustache, fishing, spyglass, ladies. I don't even know what ladies means, but... 
That's great. I think probably the equivalent of your um, president gag, your uh, Jerry Ford gag for me, is uh-huh. when Ramada um, keeps appearing at, at the wrong distance from Charlie Sheen, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, she, like, <laughs> and I mean, in general, I think when this, when this movie makes jokes at the expense of film form and convention, they're perfect. Like, these are people who know cinema. They understand when cinema looks wrong, there are reasons why. Right. Um, but for me personally, you know, just subjectively, there will never be a spatial displacement gag in a movie I won't laugh at. <laughs> That's the reason that to this day I will watch Sideways, because it has two right. spatial displacement gags. <laughs> <laughs> that are that are up, that put it above all the other kind of indie comedies of that period for me. Well, we still get you know as as the as the story goes on, and we're we're you know having to. By the way, we're rescuing Rowan Atkinson. It's fucking great. Who's who's got who's billing in this movie? Very high. Very high. Yeah. And it must literally have been because Mr. Bean was taking off. Probably. Because he's in. I love that bit. I love that bit though about his shoes being tied. Yes, and it's everybody funny. who looks down at it and goes, "Oh God." <laughs> I um. But, but like, uh, pri- prior to prior to like the dis- the discovery of him, I have the note uh, when they when they attack the compound and um, uh, assault the guards by tightening their neckties. Right. I thought, like, like continuing on this theme of you know their inspiration to future um, comedians and comedy filmmakers, I thought this could be straight out of a Key and Peele sketch. Mm-hmm. I can imagine like a Key and Peele sketch where instead of like you know instead of strangling everyone, they're just going around tightening all the neckties. And there is a similar <laughs> one I seem to remember where they're going around. To, like twisting everyone's necks uh like there's a guy going like attacking a compound and he's like he, he keeps breaking people's necks and then he accidentally does it to the person he's rescuing yeah right um so i thought and the key retrieval scene which we've talked about it's perfectly though. conceived executed time piece of old school comedy with mm-hmm. a three stooges hit at the end and again the key to that's the key to the key scene is Richard Crenna playing it absolutely straight, straight. the whole time? Yes, like, exactly like, right. Like this, he's playing it like this scene really has stakes. <laughs> That's what's so great about it. I love the bit too, where he doesn't get the keys very far. There's that huge gap in the fucking. <laughs> it reaches out a little further. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I, and the, but as uh, we go on, because, go on. you know, n- now we're we're really starting to get into, you know, the idea of war parody and action yeah. movies specifically, and we get into a body counter, <laughs> and I love when we, you know, beat RoboCop. Yeah. That's amazing. Such a great piece of meta comedy. Oh. And also a really interesting comment on action movie fandom. Mm-hmm. And like the way, you know, it was the, the way it was going. And the way it still is. Still is. It's also like I also admired the the brevity of that. 
Like, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you know, you could, you could restage a scene from RoboCop, or you could just have a bit of text on screen that yeah. does the same <laughs> right. job. Yeah, and it's as funny, if not more funny. <laughs> um, What'd you make of uh, taking off of from American Gladiator? So, did you even know the show? Did you? Yeah, I know the show. Okay. There was a there was a British equivalent, and I and I know I know American Gladiators as well. I also I also made a note about the Duracell bunny. And the Duracell like, bunny, I, you know, it's funny because you see was, you see Gla- American Gladiators parodied a lot in The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's it's sometimes it's it's really fun to watch these decades old movies. Mm. and realize what was popular at the time and what they think is going to continue to be popular right because exactly. you're making that you're putting that bet down yeah and overall you know they're winning on this movie because yeah they, they happen they, to lose that one but they lose that one and maybe the Duracell bunny one but i'm not uh, sure that that makes the joke any less funny i did no i did notice that it's kind of it's it's interesting like you also get a sense that they know it might not last because they put it in places right, in the movie yeah. where it doesn't matter as much. Like if we're just killing time, mm-hmm. like both the both the Duracell Bunny and the American Gladiators, it's it's an it's a it's a bonus gag. It's not a set piece, right? Uh, so it's almost as if they know that if anything is gonna fade, it'll be this. So <laughs> let's put less emphasis on it, right? Um, and you know, I have I have a few little, you know, nitpicks here and there. Uh, Miguel Ferrer's breakdown is so well acted, but it's it's a lot of toxic masculinity in there. It's there, yeah. And, yeah. But see, I think that that's see, I took that as purposeful. Not that part, the war part, the anti-war part. You can be anti-war and misogynist. True, <laughs> but. I don't know. When you have lines like, I can kill again. You've given me a, ris- a reason okay, to yeah. live. You know? And I also, like, for for a movie in which the flow of comedy is really good, two, two f- a fart marsh jokes in succession, <laughs> something was off. <laughs> right. And in general, I feel like the film starts to run out of steam at about 75 minutes, which is about the length of Naked Gun. Yeah, right. So maybe it's just a... Just uh, maybe the Naked Gun 75 is where you want to be. Is that, does that 75 minute mark come before Tug Benson comes back in for his last fight? No, I'm, well, is is that a big hit for you? Or do you, do you think that that's treading water? I think there are hit and misses. Yeah. But. And again, I tried to see it in context as much as possible. Um, like I think it goes get, on for a while. It does. When yeah. they get the lightsabers out, like, mm-hmm. obviously, when you're saturated with Star Wars like we are now, it's just like, and you've just seen the same thing in Free Guy, you're like, oh, God. <laughs> you, there's no Star Wars in 1993. No, yeah. So, probably people would be excited to see lightsabers and Star Wars parody. And I right? saw notes of, uh, you know, this is the first time a purple lightsaber is seen on film or something like that, which is pretty funny when you think of the story of uh, Samuel L. Jackson saying, I want a purple lightsaber. Like in that Hot Shots movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and uh, arguably a more serious use of it than Attack of the Clones. Agreed. So <laughs> yeah, and this is this is where you know Ron Atkinson comes in. He's mm-hmm. built bigger than the part is. Also, he's a, another kind of Wayne's World two crossover. He's another cast member of Never Say Never Again. Sure. So maybe they're also plugging the Bond film connection to him. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, he certainly goes on to plug that in the Johnny English series mm-hmm. and based on a series of credit card commercials. Um, <laughs> that's true. That's not a joke. That's true. Uh, <laughs> and then and then I have a scene which I have a difficult time with, even though I like. Okay. So I found the lesbian roommate twist dated oh, yeah. and offensive. But it's a direct reference. And or, well, close to a direct reference. Close to a direct reference. And Krenner's reaction to it makes it all better. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> First of all, him coming in, like, not realizing the gravity of what's going on. He goes and says, hey, you two girls know each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's enough. But then in the middle of their description of what happened between them, it cuts back to him. He says, go on. <laughs> And again, like that temptation to, you well, know, so Leslie, Nielsen, Leslie is... Nielsen did to camera there yeah. or do like a do like a cartoon wolf thing must be like. I was just going to say, because the temptation is to make is to make the 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 button him being lecherous. And he, and he is, but he's pl- but he's playing it no yeah, different but than he was doing it in the middle of Rambo. That's more, what's great about it. Yeah. <laughs> And to me, he's he's you know he's curious. <laughs> no, but but there's a million ways to play that scene wrong, and yeah. he, play, he 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 nails everything about it. Uh, just and then speaking of Park, I mean when when Saddam Hussein reassembles as a yeah. wolf lion whatever whatever uh, he, yeah they do the same thing in Team America. When Kim Jong Il turns into a cockroach, oh, or a cockroach shit. comes out of his mouth and drives away in a little car. Right. I guess so, I was more focused on the Terminator Two of a, of a, of of it all, which is fabulous. Oh yeah. But, but it's really interesting having just done that series. Like if I'd have seen that without having done the series, I would have gone. I would have said, "Oh well, because they know that this franchise is going to last." <laughs> that it's gonna give a, but when now having done it, I'm like, right. they got lucky, because mm-hmm. we know there shouldn't have been anything past T two, past two, right? <laughs> but again, you know, I marvel at it because it's the sort of thing of in which the 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 the, the liquid metal coming back together feels like a shot for shot remake, yeah, of what happens in T two. It's it's That's really it. fantastic. Yeah, when you can when you can do that level of pastiche. So it's the detail in this movie. Yeah. There's so much detail in it. That's what always that's what always makes the difference. And both here and in Mike Myers movies, I think, mm-hmm. that you feel like you're watching the real thing. Sometimes you are watching the real thing, but but you always kind of feel like it. And I love the ca- I love the Casablanca inversion that the Freedom <laughs> right. Fighter is a racist piece of shit media whore. <laughs> That's great, <laughs> and that it's Ron Atkinson, um, right? But 
And then when we're, then we're right at the end of the movie. I don't think it's a great final gag. I really feel like the movie's run out of steam at this point. Yeah. Um. Until well, until the credits. Okay. <laughs> do, do you have anything else to say, or can I go on my credit check? Is there? No. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm done. We we were kind of talking off air. There just there's just like towards the end, there are lots of lines that I love. I will kill oh, you ahead. until you die from it. Mm-hmm. We already talked about war. It's fantastic, but looks like the upper hand is on the other foot. Mm-hmm. First to die loses. That's a great line. Yeah. I could love that. Line. I believe that's also preceded with him saying, we'll do it the old Navy way. Yeah. <laughs> First guy to die loses. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Which is both. But uh, that, that's you... what I mean. Like every joke in this movie has multiple layers. You get mm-hmm. it's like that's funny because it's a it's a satirical joke. That's funny because he was in the Navy the last time we saw him. And that's funny because it doesn't make any sense. It's yeah. like it's every kind of humor you want. And Tug Benson is the platform for for, for every all kind for, of the, humor. for that kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like every kind of humor that exists in this movie all comes out of Tug Benson's mouth at some point. Well, tell us about the uh, cast in order you should know their names. That's great. <laughs> That's such a good joke. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to start off by asking you a question, actually, because... If I knew who the art director was, or who said, you yank in my crank? <laughs> Did you get those questions? So... What does Don Maloyevich do? Oh, you got your own credit check. We got ju- dueling credit checks. <laughs> right. Um, so my my the, my first credit check was, uh, so we used to. It's a convention of these series that we have fake slash funny credits. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kind of the the device this time is the fun fact uh, right. that keeps popping up. And I wanted to ask you, as someone who was in. American movie theater going to American movie theaters at this time. I don't know why I bothered saying at this time, but you know, <laughs> as if that still doesn't happen. But right. you know what I mean. Was this something? Was it was having like trivia on screen before the movie? Was this starting around this time? I I couldn't say if it was starting around that time, but if you can't say, no one can. By the way, <laughs> true. If you can't answer this question, we'll never get an answer. <laughs> you know, it's funny because as a kid, I you you know you walked into a movie theater and you just looked at a dark blank screen. You know, right? Exactly. You just waited for the movie to come on. Now, but it's I like do think Maria I do think, think, and it's like I, twenty minutes of Maria Menudos now. Yeah, right. Newbie. But if I had to make a guess, the early 90s do- does sound like about the time when you started getting questions. Yeah, that it's, that, it's, that tracks for me. Yeah, because you don't see it's weird. You don't see it in. Other. Any, I, I was just I was just interested in the historicity of it. Yeah. Um, I love that the credits drop spoilers for other movies. <laughs> But that kind of assholery would be frowned upon today. Right, right. In the age of spoiler warnings, you would not get away with that shit. <laughs> but I, th- I I had the thought that maybe Marvel could weaponize this and um, drop spoilers for movies that are coming out at the same time as, as Avengers movies. Right. 
of MCU movies, so no one goes to see them. Because everyone's waiting <laughs> right. for the post-credit sting. Or I was going to say, yeah. You could ruin yeah. like five or you six could, different yeah. movies. You could and see then, who yeah. would stay and who wouldn't based on, uh, you're going to include the post-credit scene, but you're also going to fuck people over by giving away something in another movie, which of course they would never do. But I mean, I like that kind of subversive humor. Absolutely. Eh, Joss Whedon would do it. Um... <laughs> And then I again uh, this was this was another sort of timeline thing that I wanted who's to put Oprah. In. I guess that's in the movie. The that's, <laughs> Rowan Atkinson. No, he, well, doesn't he say like who's that black chick? Oh, I think which he, is I, where, which I is where he I get said, the who's Oprah. No, no, he says oh who's that black chick, which is where I got the racist part of my characterization right. of that character from. Yeah. Um, yeah, who's who's Oprah? <laughs> But the at the at the very at the very very end of the credits, it says you know this was filmed in front of a live studio audience, yeah. <laughs> which I think is interesting because most of the post credit gags that you see make reference to the fact that people are watching it in a movie theater. Yes. But now it's 1993. They're making reference to the fact that people are watching it on TV, like either on air or on VHS. Oh yeah yeah right. Which I think is fascinating, because you think of like Ferris Bueller, it's all like go home. Mm-hmm. But here it's like, you are home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's fantastic. I fucking loved this movie. Yeah, I I liked I liked it a lot. I mean I have my issues with it, but um it's definitely a good movie. I have quibbles. And it's a good but... comedy it's a good movie and it's a good comedy movie. Yeah. And it's like important... I said, Gerald Ford falling down just and even even if I didn't enjoy it, I would have to concede it is an important comedy movie. Oh, there you go. And I didn't think that before I, you, I rewatched it. It's funny you say that because I never would have thought that because I there's so much of this movie that I didn't remember. Yeah, it's been Team so America long since I'd seen exist. it. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, there there's there's Tyler influence from this movie. This movie has some tentacles. Yeah. Reaching out com- co- comedy-wise. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for Hot Shots Part Do. You're going to have to tell us what you think. You know, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. That's it. We'll be hearing us next time. We're going to be talking about... Uh... <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's 2. Weekend at Bernie's 2. <laughs> I, I, I... Well... I'm I'm delighted to be able to talk about that movie. Yes, yeah. Just... I might watch it again. After all, I own it. I yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say there's no reason I can't watch it again before we talk about it because I paid an obscene amount of money for it. <laughs> You're gonna have to watch it twice as much as me to yeah. get the get the value of yeah. what you paid versus what I paid. A year from now we're gonna have to ask each other how many times you watch Weekend at Bernie's too so far. Yeah. And if you say two, I better say four. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, say goodbye, Tom. Topper, they didn't make you this fighting machine. They just cooked up the porridge and went for a walk. And you'll never stop running until you face your three bears. I forgot about his Goldilocks.
Richard Crenna. Richard, Richard Crenna. And again, like the number of times in that monologue, <laughs> you would feel totally justified to ham it up. Yeah. And he never, never. does. <laughs> it's great. To the point where that guy on YouTube can inter- it can splice that with Rambo 3 and you would not know. That's amazing. All right, ladies and gentlemen. You won't have to wait long. Weekend at Bernie's 2 coming at you. Have a great day. <laughs>